Welcome to the show, everybody. And uh, before we start, just want to let you know that if you want to help support the podcast and everything we do here and help fund the future science projects we're going to be doing here, all you have to do is go to the Amazon link that we have on the homepage at todayinspace.net forward slash home, or you can go this week's episode, either place, and they both have the link. And it's really simple. It costs you nothing, and all you have to do is go to there and shop. Just buy whatever you're going to get anyways, and you help support us. Amazon sends us back a little bit. It's that easy. On this week's episode, today in space, we have uh, the lovely Sarah back on the show. Uh, We talk about um, a little bit about the gravitational waves. I do an excerpt from Physics of the Impossible by Minshew Kaku. Um, We talk about the new experiment that Sarah's helping me with, the behavioral analysis of my cat, Cushy. Uh, we'll talk about 3D printing, what's new with me, and some really cool research that I found this week that uh, I wanted to share. And that's about it, guys. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to support the podcast and enjoy. everybody to the show uh it is episode 71 february 18th 2016 and we're here for a morning episode with the lovely sarah good morning everyone good morning (laughs) uh we're here we're gonna do some uh some fun science sarah's got some cool uh science she's gonna be doing on the show absolutely to add to our ever growing list of science here on the show and uh we've got new sound equipment here at the show I don't know if you can oh, tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, upgraded sound system. We've uh, moved on up to the next uh, step here with the show. I'm super excited. I, I was a little kid at Christmas getting this stuff. It was so <laughs> much fun putting this together and testing it out. Um, and we're going to keep tweaking it and making it better. I'm I'm super pumped. But let's, uh, let's do a little housekeeping first. Um, last episode talked about uh, the gravitational waves and how I was going to do it this week, but I thought it was even better if we did one of uh, a really comprehensive episode when I do really all my research and kind of lay it all out um, better than I could do, you know, in just an episode on, on you know, just kind of throwing it together. I don't, don't want to do that. Yeah. It's, it's a really important discovery. It's a hundred year theory that for the first time has actual evidence for it. We've actually detected gravitational wave and never done that before 100 years finally had the technology to do that and Insane. it's just it's absolutely crazy so we're going to get way more into that but to kind of keep it going for the next time uh, i found uh this book I, I always pull this out whenever there's some big scientific finding uh this book almost always has the answer it's michio kaku's physics of the impossible uh, it should be in this week's episode link if you want to pick it up on uh, Amazon and help support the show. Boom. But, boom. <laughs> uh, let me just uh, quote a little excerpt here from where they're talking about gravity waves. So we'll start. 
Gravity waves were first predicted by Einstein in 1916. They may eventually become the most important probe for astronomy. Historically, each time a new form of radiation was harnessed, a new era in astronomy was opened up. The first form of radiation was visible light, used by Galileo to investigate the solar system. The second form of radiation was radio waves, which eventually enabled us to probe the centers of galaxies to find black holes. And gravity wave detectors may unveil the very secrets of creation. Whoa. Yeah. In some sense, gravity waves have to exist. To see this, consider the age-old question, what happens if the sun suddenly disappears? According to Newton, we would feel the effects immediately. The Earth would instantly be thrown out of its orbit and plunged into darkness. This is because Newton's law of gravity does not take into account velocity. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Yeah. And hence, forces act instantly throughout the universe. Okay. Hmm. But according to Einstein, nothing can travel faster than light. So it would take eight minutes for the information about the sun disappearing to reach Earth. That makes sense. In other words, a spherical shock wave of gravity would emerge from the sun and eventually hit the Earth. Outside the sphere of gravity waves, it would appear as if the sun were still shining normally because information about the disappearance of the sun would not have reached Earth. Inside the sphere of gravity waves, however, the sun would have already disappeared as the expanding shockwave of gravity waves travel at the speed of light. So that's just a little, little intro. Um, there's way more on it in this book and tons of other impossible physics. Um, to do a terrible pun there. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it's now jumped out of this book from being impossible. Ooh, sorry, folks. From being impossible to actually being detected for the first time. So it's, it's now no longer this fantasy. So crazy. It's incredible. So, yeah, incredible. we're, we're going to get into a lot more of that later. Um, and one of the interesting things I, I had heard, one of the videos, the tons of them that are online, mm. Uh, and we were kind of talking about this before, and I want to save this for the episode. For the first time, we've actually heard the universe. Oh, yeah. Through our astronomical ears. You know, telescopes, Hubble telescope, uh, the ones you have in your backyard, those are our eyes on the universe. Right. And for the first time, we have ears. And, and e- I, 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 I just can't comprehend what that means. Like, I heard a sound clip. Of what it's supposed to sound like, but I don't. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to play that right now, actually. <clears throat> yeah. I just don't understand. <clears throat> is it like, is it similar to a radio wave? Is that why we could hear it? We can't hear light. Like, why? So, that one is the audio that's been adjusted. That heartbeat. The lower one after this one. Ready? Bloop. This one. So that one is, they took the data and transferred it into sound immediately. So that, that heartbeat sound was the sound of the wave being detected. It's mind-blowing. So I, yeah, so it's not like, like most things that we have pictures for in space, you can't actually see with your own eyes. Like a lot of Hubble's pictures are combinations of different wavelengths. We right. can kind of see the whole picture of what's going on there. Where if you kind of just looked at it with our own eyes, we wouldn't be able to see most of that. 
Right. That makes so sense. So those are like our our amplified eyes on the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is entering an era where we can actually hear the universe. So can you hear it with your own ears? No. But through the tools that we have, we can actually listen to it. And so that's the sound of gravity wave coming, passing through us. That happened uh, over a billion light years away, which meant it happened over a billion years ago. Two black holes in this distant area combined in an instant after they were circling each other, combined and released this gravity wave that we just heard. So they're showing it to the public in a sound form because we can't see the minute differences. Well, we can't see the wave. Right, right, but, right. but they saw that it was there because of the um, minute differences in distances yes. of so objects, the, right? Right, so the LIGO experiences that are in uh, Louisiana and I believe it's Washington. Yeah, I think that's what they said. Um, they're both these big L-shaped places, and, and on each arm of the L, they have these lasers. Laser. With these mirrors, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, that have these mirrors, and so the laser has a wavelength. And they're projected onto the screen where the two lasers meet at the corner of the L, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what that's detecting is super, super, like, pure glass. Mm-hmm. And so what it's doing is we're waiting for this, ti- this gravity wave to disrupt space and time enough that the two lasers, their wavelengths move just, I think it was like half the like the radius of an atom or something. A, a proton. Was, a proton, yeah. even smaller. So if they just get that little shift because the wave of space and time is disrupting as it's coming through, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what we detected. But how does the audio come in? I just, I really... So the audio is taking the data that they took from that event and making it into sound. Because you can't really make it into light. It doesn't really make sense. Right. So... I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing the best way to use this is through sound. I guess. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I don't know why. It's definitely something I'm going to be looking up for that episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, if I had to take a guess, it's just, it's just this new, new style of astronomy. I just want to know how. I think that's what I want to know, how they converted it. All right. I, I will take a note. And I'll make sure to answer that in the episode. How? We'll do that. And I, I heard, uh, wasn't it uh, someone someone involved with the discovery? Oh, yeah. Someone from my alma mater, Allegheny College, loud and proud, um, was part of, I guess they were a doctoral student um, involved in the research while it was happening, which is just so cool. Um, I went to a small liberal arts college and it's just really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, we're really research driven and it's cool to see alumni making such huge discoveries, obviously Mm -hmm. not alone, but that's just so cool. Could you imagine being, being a PhD student and being like, (laughs) Oh, you know, yeah, this would be cool. This would be really cool. But when is this ever going to happen? And then all of a sudden, you're involved with what I guess they're allegedly considering it for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Nobel Prize. Like, that's incredible. That's insane. Like, oh, man, that's I just so exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. so exciting. Because I, I, if anyone who's not an engineer who's, or who's never gone through that, you know, as 
when you get into really science and going for a degree in it, there's always a project, from what I understand, that you work on that's pretty big. Mm. So, and PhD, a PhD, that's even more. Not necessarily an engineer. Right, a scientist, right. right. Um, although the engineers, we have projects. I mean, not too. just an engineer. Yes. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Clarification is good. Yeah. And uh, it's super exciting. You never know what you're going to get into. I mean, I, I applied for a bunch of them, and the one I ended up getting, which I was so happy with, was we were designing a mission and the spacecraft for a, a CubeSat that would mm. eventually be launched into space and take measurements of the sun for solar weather. That's so cool. Yeah. I saw, I saw that once, and I was like, I don't care how hard that is. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm totally getting involved in that. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, never in his wildest dreams, I think, would no, he no. ever have thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to make history. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's Craziness. Insane. It's insane. Craziness. Now, uh, let's switch gears to what I want to talk about, which is your experiment here mm. that we've been, we've been uh, putting, well, I, I've been learning, but we've been putting our heads together. Yeah. Um, so basically, give, give like the really quick explanation of what we're doing, because I don't want to missay it. Well, I mean, start, why don't you start by explaining the problem? Okay, so. Uh, my cat, Cushy, um, she has a tendency, she has, she has two things that I, I really would love to try. I would love to teach her, but I don't know how to because she's an animal. If she's a person, it would be different. Um, it's basically training is what I'm looking for uh, in a way. Um, but I'm, she has behaviors, one of which is excre- extremely dangerous to herself. She will hurt herself if she doesn't stop. So I need to... Stop her from doing that. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is a nuisance. And two. It's an other ex- two. Huh? Other two. Oh, yeah. The other two are a nuisance and expensive and they're just, she's scratching up everything. So <laughs> yeah. we're trying to figure out why she's doing that and reduce it. The first one that could danger herself is she loves to bite cords. And mm. because I have cords everywhere, <laughs> uh, she... Uh, is going to electrocute herself if I don't figure out how to get her to stop. So Sarah, being the behavioral scientist. Um, um, aspiring. Aspiring behavioral scientist. Behavior analyst, um, yeah. Behavior analyst. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I want to get it right. Behavior analyst, I figured, hey, can you, can you help me with this? And, of course, you said, yeah, we just got to take data. So put put a spreadsheet together. I'm going to be taking data. I'm going to be mm-hmm. sharing it with you guys. But let's... Let's go more into it. So um, when he mentioned the problems, I first thought about, um, well, A, so in, in behavioral, um, with, with any science, data is, is king. You know, if mm-hmm. without data, you have nothing. So um, we started taking a baseline of data, um, a frequency count, how many times does she engage in the given behaviors um, per day? Um, we actually decided to come up with it in a rate, uh, figure out a rate. So how many times does she do it within, you know, a given period of time, um, due to the variableness of, Mm -hmm. of your schedule, um, how long you're actually, um, hanging out with her. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) you look like you're going to say something. I'll wait. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, we decided to start taking baseline data, um, 
I have been taking um, what's called ABC data, which um, stands for antecedent behavior consequence. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. ABC. Easy. Oh, oh I don't have the rights for that. Don't be saying oh. that. <laughs> 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 um, well, so basically I'm analyzing um, what happens directly before and after the behavior to figure out um, my hypothesis for the function of the behavior. Why, essentially why she does what she does, what she gets out of it. Um, why is the behavior reinforced? Why is it happening at the frequency um, in which it happens? So um, at least, well, so I'm not 100% sold on um, the function of her behavior, but it looks like... Um, and, and what would that be, the function of her behavior? What do you think? Well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So the... So she she um, rips and eats a lot of paper, mm-hmm. um, but it seems to be at times when you are not paying attention to her. It mm. it seems to be an attention seeking behavior. Ah, so she's she's reaching out. <laughs> yes. Ah. Yeah. Um, so. Am I a bad father? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Um, so we'll come up with an intervention um, to stop the behavior, um, by removing attention, um, for, you know, we'll change the consequence for the behavior. So, okay, so, so give it, give it to me in, um, in like, this is what I need to do to help. Like, okay. If, yeah. So if you're just going to tell me like what I need to do so that she stops like for any, in for each experiment, like, okay. how do I approach that? So for, um, the paper eating, mm-hmm. We're taking um, baseline data, so we have an average rate in which she um, engages in the behavior within the current environment. So what is she doing right now before we change anything? Mm -hmm. So once we have that, um, we will um, start to remove the item. So we're, we're stopping the behavior, we're blocking the behavior. Um, by taking it away without providing any um, attention. So okay. what that'll look like is walking over, taking the paper, not making eye contact, not saying anything to her. Now, there is a chance that just being in proximity will reinforce the behavior, mm-hmm. um, will make it happen more frequently. Um, and that's just something we're just going to have to find out because yeah, we just don't know. that's why we're testing it. Right. So, and I think that's that's what the big thing about this and just taking data in general, like I'm doing the same thing kind of data with my 3d printer. I have Mm -hmm. no idea what my printer is capable of. I have an idea from the manufacturer guy, people who made it and the people who use it, but really I got to figure out what I'm capable of doing because I don't actually know yet what I'm capable of. So I think that's kind of the approach we're going. We don't really know what her, you know, how we're even going to approach this. We're just going to take an approach, take data, and kind of figure it out. Um, yes and no. So okay. I haven't necessarily explained to you that the intervention that I chose has been used before. Okay. So I always go to... So I created a hypothesis for um, the function of her behavior with the ABC data. Okay. And then based off of that function... I, instead of just like taking a shot in the dark, guess and check sort of thing, Mm -hmm. I use, um, other people's research. So what has worked 
for other, um, with humans, with animals alike. Mm. Um, people don't like to admit it, but humans are animals. Um, oh, yeah, And definitely. their behaviors can be changed accordingly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my first experience with uh, behaviorism was with rats, working with rats mm-hmm. um, and modifying their behavior. Um, so now I work with humans, but the behaviors <laughs> still, the behaviors still work the same way. Um, and they will, uh, the consequences, the treatments, they work mm-hmm. the same way. Um, obviously you have to modify it for each species, if right. you will, or, mm-hmm. or each, each individual for that matter. Well, yeah. And I think that's, I think a lot of people, uh, especially with science in general, but with this, could could be like oh my god like that's terrifying you know they could just control me and this and that but it doesn't it doesn't just work like that especially if you're talking like a whole bunch of people like is it, it like i feel like this stuff is i don't want to say it's an art form but it's something that you have to you have to be consistent with you have to be mm-hmm. on top of it you can't it doesn't just happen it's not a flip of a switch which i think is something a lot of people see science as, as it's just mm. this magic trick that you can just like, oh, now I can control you. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like it doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. I, I also think that people are right that being able to control behaviors can be really dangerous mm-hmm. um, if it's not done ethically and correctly. Right. Um, Which is why uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, BCBAs, mm-hmm. Uh, people who work which I'm not. in behavior, which you're not. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. In grad school, but not yet. You're killing it. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, that's why they have to get accredited. That's why there are mm-hmm. rules set in Very place. Very strict rules yes. and guidelines. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons we can talk about this experiment with Kush and do this is because... She's not she's a human. She's not a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we can, we can kind of jump into the behavioral science. Yep. And kind of explain and, and do an experiment, have fun with it, and not be doing something illegal. <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. So we have baseline data. We Once we have an average, um, her, once her behavior is um, consistent mm-hmm. across time, we have a pretty um, even rate of responding. We will um, start to implement our intervention, a.k.a. walking over, taking the object away um, without making eye contact or saying anything, um, and going on with our lives. Um, so that's what will happen there. Cool. Um, we'll check out. We'll do what's called a reversal design. So we will um, have our baseline We'll try our intervention, and then we'll go back to baseline intervention to see if um, we have what's called stimulus control. Okay. Yeah. Meaning? Meaning, um, essentially, whether it worked or not. So okay. basically, um, we're trying to prove that our intervention um, changes her behavior. Okay. So based on the consequences that we're modifying with our experiment, mm-hmm. does her behavior change okay cool 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 and i'll I'll be taking data and i'll be sharing that with uh everyone listening uh because it is an experiment and because it's the first time 
what is your hypothesis? What do you think is going to happen? Well, and we can I test mean, it after the, the I, results I, I come in. I think that it'll work, but the beauty of, see... Or, um, or what do you think we'll find, I guess is... Well, so, okay, ABA, uh, Applied Behavioral Analysis, the way experiments work is a little bit different. Yes, okay. we um, we still um, follow the scientific... Um, oh my God. Thank you. Gotcha. <laughs> Struggling. Um, follow the scientific method, but it's a little bit different because unlike many, um, I don't know how to say this without offending people. Um, <laughs> unlike most, um, areas of psychology, we are very, um, evidence-based and it's, it's just, de- it's designed to work. It was so very political. If, I, that was very good. Thank you. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> uh, I get a little I could bit give aggressive two shits about if you it. offend anybody. So you can just I go know. for it, but I appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> well, it's designed to work. So if this intervention doesn't work, I try the next one. So it, it's, it's, I'm, um, so you're testing, I'm testing my hypothesis right against now. our, well, so I'm yes. testing the hypothesis that, um, the behavior is attention driven. Okay. So you're, you're looking to see that it is. And if it isn't, we move on to the next thing. If so, if this doesn't work, um, I might try a different, um, treatment, a different intervention. To still test if it's still based on my hypothesis. Okay. Um, because my data shows that the behavior is attention driven. If that doesn't work, then I would go into further testing. So right now, I, I haven't brought out the big guns yet. Mm-hmm. Um, in ABA, um, oftentimes we work off of hypotheses based on data, but we, I didn't do an experiment to find out the function of heart behavior. If I can't change it based on my hypothesis, I'll bring out the big guns and do an experimental analysis of her okay. behavior, which is called a functional analysis. An is, FA. That, is that more intensive? Super intensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more data. A lot more data. It's <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. Way more intense. Cool. So, um, I'm just operating off of my own hypotheses right now. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy to, uh, to see what happens. I mean, I know it's, it's going to work eventually. It's just, uh, figuring out. Exactly. Figuring out cushy. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. excited. Yeah, she's uh she's pretty awesome. You guys will I'll meet her. Yeah. Eventually. There needs to be a picture. Yeah, may may even make a just a whole Instagram account for her. Aw. We'll see. She's like the biggest cat note to man. She's a Maine Coon. She's a big cat. Yeah. Her mom uh got lost in Maine and uh <laughs> met a nice wild Maine Coon and uh now I have her. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Looking forward to uh and, and how all this works. Yeah, me too. Um, it's going to be very interesting because she has a lot of tendencies where you can tell she's definitely half wild. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of animalistic, there's a lot of, not so much domination, but her making her point. Yeah. Uh, she's very, uh, you know, like you can't just like. She stands aground. She sta- exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. She stands aground, uh, which I love about her. Yeah. Um, but can be pain in the ass when she's doing something like biting a cord she's gonna kill herself right and she's not oh, listening gosh. so <laughs> i love you it's all good um <laughs> you're a good cat um but we will change you <laughs> we 
We we're will change the behavior. People aren't defined by their behaviors. Oh, she's not a person. Animals aren't defined by their behaviors. <laughs> 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 That's going to keep happening, though. I know. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, uh, so, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to we're gonna push forward and see how this goes. Yeah, So we'll, we'll keep updating. We'll keep updating. Uh, let's jump into 3D printing for this week. Cool. And just uh, I got a little bit of progress and then just a cool idea from uh, an article I read on the 3dprint.com. Nice. So as far as progress goes, uh, the box for my printer is on its way. You guys will have a picture in this week's episode of uh, where it's at right now. Um, again, just wood, glass, keeping it cheap. Um, and, you know, the big, the big problem with this is, you know, a lot of people's printers, especially desktop printers, are tiny, they're completely enclosed, and so printing ABS is really just a, a matter of putting a, a vent with, you know, whether it's the cheap aluminum tubing, you know, the foil tubing that you get from, like, Home Depot or something, and a fan, you know, some duct tape, you know, you could do that. But the problem with my printer is it's larger than just a desktop printer, mm. and uh, the bed actually moves, like, outside the frame, so it's actually bigger than it actually is. So I have to build a box that fits around the whole damn thing. So it's it's shocking how big it is. Like, I, I knew that when I designed it, but seeing it in real life, it's like, wow, that's a big box. It's really big. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been cool. Um, jumped ahead of myself and uh, forgot a cut and got desperate because I wanted <laughs> to finish the frame and uh, ended up chewing off more wood than I should have and still wasn't Almost able to literally. put it together. Almost. Yeah, almost literally. <laughs> um, so it, it's going. It's going. I'm, I'm excited where that's coming. And, uh, of course, this weekend I'm going to be up north, so I have no time to work mm. on it anymore, which was bothering the shit out of me this week. Holy huh. crap. I, like, I was, there was a lot of swears right there. <laughs> um, but it bothered me that much. I, I was really bothered because I've been on a roll, like, every yeah. weekend and sometimes after work. Like, I've been really trying to get this done. But uh, it is what it is. I'll continue with uh, Star Monday. So You're going to have fun, though. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. I can't wait till it's done. And I can really start turning out some prints. Uh, I've got 20 prints done. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm going to stop there for a little while, finish the box, do some videos, and then I can start releasing those. Nice. So that's going to be fun. Uh, and the article that I uh, really want to talk about this week is it. So. It's uh, It was a keynote speech from Maiden Space. Now, Maiden Space was the was and is the first to 3D print in orbit and in space in general. They sent a 3D printer up to the ISS, and the uh, astronauts up there uh, were being trained from on the ground. They were uploading a file, and they actually printed out uh, a wrench, um, which was awesome like it's super incredible and the the hardest part was of course getting it off the bed because that is just the hardest part Mm. altogether but that's incredible that that's the hardest part that is incredible you know it's like oh my god like we can do this in space and it one of the ideas that the article talks about is recycling in space is going to be key for earth independent production Mm. Uh, you know number one you know, my first thought on that is it would be nice to be conscious of, you know, if we are going into space, you know, if we are 
traveling through space, living in space, adventuring through space. We're going to be leaving stuff behind, you know, trash, waste. Uh, we'll be consuming materials and this and that. And so, yeah, it would be nice to be conscious of the fact of being green in space, right? That'd yeah. be great. But that aside, like, I think they hit it on the nose. I think recycling is really the only way that we're going to be able to travel space wherever we want to. Mm. Because your spaceship, it can only be a certain size based on what you're trying to do with it. And making those ships is going to be so much harder if we have to put on board all the different things that we need, um, all the different materials, and not even the materials. We would be bringing the actual objects with us. So the amount of space that's going to take up is insane. Like we're not going to be able to have a ship that can travel. We're going to need these big, huge star liners that are going to need to bring us around because we're going to have to bring all our shit with us. And that's impractical because how are we going to build that? Yeah. Can't build it on Earth. Got to build it in space. And right. we haven't even started building in space. Not so, yet. Not yet. But that's a long way off. So, because we're going to need a totally different power source. We can't just be doing fuel up there. That's going to no. be crazy. So, we're going to need some kind of fission, fusion, nuclear up there. Awesome. Yeah. So, we have a power source. And that'll be sick. But if we want to get there sooner, and if we want to let individuals fly through space, then recycling is going to be the whole thing. Because then you can just bring the materials you need. You can bring the food you need, the water you need, any plastic that you can make, any kind of parts, metal to make any kind of parts. And then you just store that in a room in the back, you right. know, in the dock, you know, like that, that could work. That, and that, that changes the whole design. Like, I think that's a huge thing with this space travel and deep sea travel. They're both kind of similar. Mm. You have to build the craft for the mission. Right. You know, you can't just say, we're going to use the Maserati version and just put Maserati ships out there. You know, it's like, no, that's like, that's not going to work. Right. You know, you're going to be, it's not right. It's not effective. So I think they hit that on the nose. I think recycling is going to be huge. I have no idea how we're going to do it, but um, you know, the recycling techniques we've been using are fantastic. And this gives us like a, a mission statement. It's like, oh yeah, we've been recycling to save the planet and this and that, even though that should be a great, great motivator. I still don't want to see like space trash flying around. Yeah. We'll have like a trash belt. Oh my God. It'll be, it'll be awful. Yeah. No, thank it'll you. It'll be awful. But I think if we focused it on, man, wouldn't it be cool to go through space and let's use these recycling techniques to, to get us to go there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think that's going to, like, more, way more people are going to be in on that. Right. Yeah. It's exciting. Woo. Recycling on its own? Not that exciting. Not that exciting. Yeah. Not as exciting you know? as. As traveling through space? Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so I, say, I say that that's a great idea. I like it. Yep. Um, let's see. What else? Any, any ideas? About recycling in space, mm-hmm. you are barking up the wrong tree. Okay, we'll I move think on. it's cool, but <laughs> I don't have any idea on how it could happen. Oh, me either. I just like thinking about it. Oh, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm imagining some cool, like melty. You can melt it all down. I don't know. Convection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if convection would work, but I mean, it's a heat. Right. 
It's a form of heat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just yeah. trying to think of less I think of a, ways. Yeah. I, I think of a, a Mr. Fusion, like uh, Back to the Future. We're just throwing the trash in the Mr. Fusion so huh. it could power the, That's awesome. the DeLorean. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. Less mes- messy. Less. Because you, c- you can't create a lot of toxic chemicals in the process either because there's not a good way to. To break it down afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and that's, you know, uh, th- there's almost like a feeling with like recycling that it's like they should have known. It's like, why would they know? We thought cigarettes were good for us. <laughs> what? Oh, geez. Why would we know that, you know, all this toxic stuff, well, just throw it to the side. It's not, it's not, it's not me. It's not affecting me. I'm fine. It's good. It's out of my way. Right. That's how people thought. Yeah. We didn't wow. have the internet back then. We didn't know about the world back then. You know? Didn't cause give, give an immediate break. consequence yeah. to their behavior. Give us a break. Oh, that's good. The behavioral side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons you'd actually stop is, right. is having the right reason. Right. Boom. See, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. Uh, let's see. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Oh, just thinking. Oh. Just thinking. <laughs> Um, oh, this, this, it's kind of going on saving the planet and just, I guess we go from recycling to global warming and very interesting new study from, uh, JPL, uh, at least this news article is from JPL and the propulsion laboratory. laboratory. Yes. If you're in the know, JPL is very, very well known. I did not know that. Okay. Well, there we go. Thank you for clarifying. Now you know. So, this study uh, talks about the rising seas and how they were slowed. I started reading that and realized, wow, that's not the right way to start that sentence. (laughs) Uh, So, the study, rising seas slowed by increasing water on land. That's so interesting. Yes. How is that happening? I took some notes. Ooh. So, um, the whole idea, glacial melt... Water is being added, so we've got a very good idea of how much should be there mm-hmm. from the melt. And what they've noticed is, and this is, how do they notice? We'll get into later. But okay. what they noticed is that Earth's continents have soaked up and stored 3.2 trillion tons of water in soils, lakes, and underground aquifers. Mm. And that has slowed down the rate of sea level rise by about 20%. Nature, that's a, that's nature a lot. is awesome. Yeah. Nature is awesome. It's amazing. That's so cool. Like, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where you hear this and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But in all the conversations I've had with people about how uh, the glacial water, the, you know, these glaciers are going to melt and we're going to be underwater. Right. Like, never even considered the fact that the land is actually soaking it up that's so cool yeah you know and the uh the actual volume of that water the three point excuse me 3.2 trillion tons of water is about the volume of lake huron which is the earth's seventh largest lake wow that's a nice way to think about it that's a lot of water Mm-hmm. and that's the water that's uh in the earth's uh, 
water system that, that's being evaporated, rained onto the ground, and pushed through the water. So that's the 3.2 trillion ton, uh, tons. That's what there that water is because it, it's coming out of the system. And so mm. the sea level rise is way lower than we expected. And one of the things I definitely think is w- my first question, what is that number? What is that number there, the sea level rise? Is that expected? Mm-hmm. Is that based on models? Is that based on predictions? Um, Probably. That'd be my guess, but I'd like to know. I'd like to figure out, like, where did that number come from? Because I think that's kind of important to this 20%. That's well, a large number. If if you know how much ice has melted, it's not that hard to figure out mm-hmm. how much the volume of water that would be created from that. Okay. I don't think. Yeah. It's like a simple calculation, I think. We'd like to think so. Simple is relative, <laughs> but I mean. Yeah, it's like we know this and this equal this. Proportion, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, man. I, this, the, these kind of discoveries are the things that, that I always think of that make me think like life is awesome. Like yeah. it's, you never expect this kind of stuff. I never expected to hear that the Earth's ocean levels are actually 20% lower than we thought because it's just being rained and evaporated off land and that the continents are soaking it up like a sponge. Like, what? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It is. Like I said, nature is awesome. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah, definitely. That's a cool study, though. Yeah. And uh, so that study was uh, made possible thanks to the... Uh, 2002 launch of NASA's GRACE spacecraft. Now, GRACE, oh. of course, stands for Gravity Recovery and Climate Experiment. So they're twin satellites that are used in tandem in orbit, and they help scientists detect the changes in Earth's gravitational pull that result as the water on the planet moves around due to hmm. gravity. Cool. So, and these satellites, so they're, they're put in orbit, um, within, uh, I think it was half of a hair length. So they, they keep that position within half of a hair length. And then they measure the gravity changing. So they're almost Whoa. completely stationary. And they're watching the Earth move back and forth with the gravitational pull. When you say stationary, I mean, they're still orbiting, right? No, no, no they're still orbiting. But as far as like the reference, from what I understand, the reference frame of where they are in front of the Earth, they're stationary. mm so and they then stay. they're just watching okay. the Earth being affected by the gravitational pull of the water moving around. Right. So they're probably seeing, like, the, t- the tides move. Right. Like, the ocean go further That's away and come cool. back. You know, yeah. It's, it's crazy how they're, they're doing this stuff. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, and they can measure, like, the height of that ocean, the, the, level, the ocean level height <laughs> very, very accurately. I think within even, actually, no, I don't know that, but I'm sure they can. Like, being in that position, you're seeing the whole thing. They wouldn't put them out there for no reason. No, no, hell no. (laughs) Hell no. But yeah, so that was pretty cool. So science working together, trying to do this stuff, just never would have expected that. No, that's a cool finding. Mm -hmm. Next. Let's see. I mean, that's, that's more or less it. I mean, it's just learning some crazy new stuff here. Yeah. You know, Definitely. I mean, between the gravitational waves and behavioral science. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. 
and uh, the the great attractor that we found out a few weeks ago that's probably going to be uh, eaten up by the gravity wave discovery with the black holes. Did we even, did we talk about the great attractor? Uh, no, not yet today. Oh, oh. We talked about it last week on the on the podcast. Right, I thought you meant today. No, not today. Um, I was like, it's pretty cool. But yeah, no, the, and the great attractor, if you think about it, was. So our Milky Way is moving towards this area right, right. called the Great Attractor. And we actually, for the first time, looked into that area and saw through radio waves mm. that there's actually, was it 100 million galaxies behind there? So that That's accounts crazy. for this giant mass, the Great Attractor, that we were going towards. It's not one big, dense object, which would have been super cool to find. But it's... Slash terrifying. Slash terrifying. Because it would probably have been a black hole. Yeah. And we do have a black hole in the Milky Way. Well, right. Yeah. But it's but just dormant. not one that big. Uh, no, it's just not feeding. How is that possible? Because there's nothing to feed on. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to feed on right now. So it just lies dormant. Is that really the word that they use? Dormant? I'm using it. Oh, okay. It was like, <laughs> I mean, I think we're probably still moving towards I, I know it. definitely, I know I've read before that they, they speak of black holes as if they feed, like right. they, they have a hunger uh, and right now it has nothing to feed on. So it's not active. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's never the way I pictured them. I kind of imagined them always sucking things in no matter I what. I mean, yeah. I mean, even if something's not there, it's it's moving towards. It's something spiraling. Oh, it's it. definitely still moving okay. our our galaxy there's around. There's just nothing close enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's nothing near it for it to consume, and it's going to take hmm. a very long time for something to come near it. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we have them around us. Just they may not be consuming us. And even if there was one that just kind of popped up, it would still take. Popped up forever. Just casual. Just casually. Just casually. Hello. Yep. <laughs> wow. So I don't even remember what my original point was, but oh, so the oh, great attractor yeah. was 100 million galaxies or so, something like that, right? And we, when we first found the great attractor, we thought we were moving towards it. And then apparently, I just saw in, in another video online uh, that. The Great Attractor and us are actually moving towards a whole nother area that has an even bigger mass and attraction and pull. Wow. Yeah. So it just doesn't end. I mean, it's just this, and it's supposed to be another cluster of galaxies that's just got this huge mass that's just pulling us towards it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's wild. And it's farther than we can see. So we can't, at this moment, we don't have the technology to actually view it. Wow. Yeah, so we still don't know what we're moving towards. Wow. And meanwhile, people are worried about what uh, smartphone they're going to get next. (laughs) And how someone else is doing this to them. When in reality, they can just do whatever the hell they want. It's crazy. A cynic could also say, well, it doesn't matter because we're just going to fly into something eventually. Oh, long before. But that's a bummer. It is a bummer. That's a bummer. No, I think it just, I, I like the scaling of it all. Yeah, it's crazy. The, yeah. the thinking exponentially big is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I have a hard time thinking exponentially small, though. 
That's why chemistry was so hard for me. The Magic School Bus did that for me. Ooh, that was a good show. Miss Frizzle. I don't, I don't know if... See, now I feel old because I don't even know if kids even know what Magic School Bus is. They should. They should. They should. The question is, working, does anyone have a VH, uh, I was VHCR? working in school and they played the Magic School they Bus. They did? They did. Okay, good. good. They did. There's I hope. think it still exists. There's hope yeah. out there. For the future generation <laughs> of young scientists. Mm-hmm. Miss Frizzle shall inspire them. I got to say, though, Miss Frizzle and that iguana, man, they were very, uh, man, they, they got those kids in a lot of trouble. Risk takers. Mm-hmm. Damn. I like it. They, they had some close calls. <laughs> or did they? Jesus. They were all calculated. Are we really? We're really talking about uh, <laughs> Miss Frizzle. Wow, wow! <laughs> you, you just have this effect on the show. You just bring out stuff that we usually don't talk about. Yeah. Well. Oh well, it was fun. Different perspectives. Different perspective, exactly. Yeah. So well, I think that's it. We're fifty minutes in. Wow. Yeah, it's crap. It just flies. Yeah, definitely. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. It was fun. Our uh, resident uh, science girl. <laughs> science girl, science lady, or science woman? Whoa. Which one would you like? I'll uh, give you the choice. I, I'm going to have to think it over. Okay. All right. We'll let you know next time. All right. Let me know. Let me know. Because <laughs> after that, once you choose, that's it. You can't pick another one. Wow. And that's what you'll be referring to. It's a lot of to. pressure. Yeah. So I'll give you time to think over. And uh, <laughs> when you make a decision, uh, you know, let us know. Oh, my goodness. Sounds good. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hope you learned something new. And uh, just uh, go out there and have a blast. You are alive. You are in the universe. And this place is incredible. The fact that we even exist in this moment of time is absolutely incredible. So go out there, enjoy yourself, and do what you want with life. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. Any any words? I'm just, I'm just basking in. in that. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. You're alive, damn it. Go live. Enjoy yourselves. Have a great weekend.